We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. Today, I am joined by Mark Yak Anoli, a writer, retreat leader, community builder, and spiritual director. He is the author of six books, including Between the Listening and the Telling. We're talking about the importance of storytelling and how stories can save us. Okay, let's get started by welcoming Mark, who is currently on the road for his book tour and living in an RV. Mark, I want to welcome you to this moment on the healing uh, components of of our lives. Uh, It is such an honor and a joy to be with you. So, Mark, I want to welcome you to our podcast uh, called Providence Walk With Me Podcast with the Mission Leadership Institute. And uh, as we begin with all of our uh, guests, could you tell me what you had for breakfast? Yes, I had a banana with peanut butter and black coffee inside an RV. (laughs) Let's go go right there with the RV. I imagine you have had quite a day and uh, it's exciting to be with you because you're a, a storyteller. So would you start with that right there? Just tell us about yourself. Tell us about your day. And uh, all of our listeners I know are excited to hear about you, Mark. Well, so, so I'm on this book tour, the, the nonprofit that I work with called The Hearth Community. The board bought this RV against my will and said, this is going to be a great idea. And you're going to travel around and, and um, meet people and tell stories and share your book. So I'm on um, day four, and we, we had a leak in the RV this morning, so I met a guy named Stone with a beard that went down to his, uh, his um, cowboy belt, and he crawled under there. He could not figure it out, but he patched it, and so I was able to make it to a library to do this uh, right now, but this is hard. I, you know, I'm 55 years old. You know, I'm sleeping in an RV. It's 40 degrees last night, and you know, it's, it's, this is, this is character building is what I'm going through right now. Character building. And I don't believe there's a lot of points uh, gained in the RV for any Marriott or Hilton, uh, as you move, you are, no, no, there's, there's negative points. This, this is actually taking days off of my life, but you know, I'm doing it for the book, the book. And I mean, let's get right into the book. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I want you to know, uh, as we picked it up and uh, Crystal had, had said this would be a wonderful opportunity, it's titled Between the Listening and the Telling. Uh, you offer a window into how stories uh, can save us. That's a mm-hmm. very fascinating concept. And I was wondering if you could break that open for us a little bit for our listeners, how stories save us. Well, so so stories, and when I say stories, I mean stories that we tell from our own lives. So not uh, Paul Bunyan or Anansi the Spider, you know, those kinds of stories, which have their own power and gift to them. 
but I'm talking about when we share our experiences. So when we tell stories to each other, and it's it's very difficult to go through a day without telling a story, you know, what it was like at the grocery store, the frustration with a boss. But when we tell these kinds of stories, what we're really doing is saying to another person, this is what it feels like to be me. So story is the language of human experience. It's the way we help others travel through space and time and sit in my life and see what I see and hear what I have heard and feel how I have felt. So we're living in a time of a lot of division, a time when we're turning people into, you know, paper dolls or stereotypes, two-dimensional, and we forget the richness and complexity of every human being. But when we exchange stories with one another, I mean, if I got a group of people together around a table and said, okay, what was a meal that it was memorable in your life? Or what was a place you loved to be in when you were a child? Or, or, or what was a, the first time you had a crush on, on someone when, in adolescence? And you start telling the stories and all of us start listening. And if we're listening well, um, we not only feel the humanity of the other person and, and the depth and richness, and they become three-dimensional, but we also see ourselves in the other person. Like, oh man, I know what that was like, where your throat clamps up and you want to tell someone you like them, but you can't find the words and you're stuck. I know that moment, you know, even though the person might have a radically different life. So, so the way, when I say it can save us, um, we need to be connected to one another if we're going to take on the problems we have right now. And we have to t treat each other with the respect and dignity and um, creativity that, that's possible. And story helps bring us into that world. I love what you said in terms of it uh, resonating of something in your past or a way that you connect rather than I'm just trying to think about the next thing to say after you're finished. It, it feels as if you are asking us to really be mining, marinating, sticking with the truth of who you are. Yes. And, and, and what you're noticing there is and is the, the power of storytelling is really the listening, not the telling. So there's a lot of projects right now across the country, and almost every city has story-based projects, but they tend to focus on the craft of storytelling or story as performance, that kind of thing. My work has been focused on the relational nature of storytelling, and so that is really an exchange of gifts. Uh, one person offers to listen, to, to be attentive, um, to be present. And the other person offers a part of their life, like, hey, travel with me back to my grandmother's orchard that I used to spend time in, and I'm going to tell you about this encounter I had with a bear. And so they're telling the story, and you're offering the listening, and it's that exchange of gifts that create um, these relational connections and create a, not only a new awareness of, of, of um, people, but also a sense of possibility that can show up in that space. So... Can I give an example here? Please. Okay, so so I got to work with um, uh, people who, who have suffered wildfire disasters. And I was brought into a school, about a third of the kids had lost their homes in the Alameda fire in 2020. This is in Southern Oregon. And I was in the uh, school district of Talent, Phoenix are the two towns. We go into the school. And the state and the county and the school system had provided lots of counselors. Now, these counselors looked like counselors, right? They were in individual offices with two chairs, and you know, students are invited to sit down. But students weren't coming into that space. It was a little too direct. So, we try, so they brought us in to see if story might help. 
as this kind of folk medicine. So we went into the classroom. We, kids had masks on. This was spring of 2021. Vaccines are just coming out. And so there was a lot of awkwardness. There's a lot of silence. And we had the kids in circles, six feet apart, masked. We'd ask them things like, have you ever had a strange encounter with an animal? And they would tell the stories. And then uh, what was a place you loved when you were young? They'd tell the stories, you know, a, a memorable holiday. And as the week went on, we got into deeper questions. And we started saying, like, hey, tell me a moment where you really have struggled this last year. And the voices got dropped down an octave. Kids talked quieter. They leaned in towards one another. And they listened. And I remember, and I mentioned this in the book, when, when, it, oh, when it was ended, that session, I said, what was it like to tell these kinds of stories? And one young man said, I felt joyful. And I was like, how could you feel joyful You know, when you're talking about struggles? And he said, well, every story in my group was depressing, but I could feel myself in every story. And that was joyful. Now, the reason he could feel itself is because he listened, because he paid attention and honored the story that was told. And when that happens, anxiety is reduced, depression is alleviated a little bit, and we feel that res we feel that resiliency that can or the possibility of resiliency that comes from feeling connected and feeling like you have relationships. Hmm. It it gets to this point of what you're saying and I think of that student and his joy that he had to have at least wanted to hear his own voice as joyful and beautiful too. And I think that's a problem in the pandemic is, and I'd be interested in what you thought of this is in our minds, we create this story that we're not beautiful, uh, that we're not all to put together, that we're not joyful. I mean, think about just the challenge to get out of bed of those voices. Yeah. I don't know what you want to call them. How do you get to the, be the student who could see joy by listening to his own personhood, his own truth? Yeah, and, and particularly just focused on adolescence for, you know, when you're feeling anxious, you don't know this is normal, you, you know, because you're, you're moving out of childhood, moving towards adulthood, you think it's just you, or you're feeling depressed, it's like, I'm the only one, and particularly, sadly, um, when most of your interactions are on social media, which really encourages us to live on the surface of our life, right, it's about appearance and achievement and affluence, you know, the things we have, you think, something's wrong with me. So part of the joy is realizing, oh, I'm not the only one who's feeling depressed or having a hard time getting out up in the morning, as you said. And so, yes, I, I hear myself in the stories of others. And, and in some ways it allows, it gives me permission to confess what I'm really going through in a way that doesn't have shame around it. Hmm. it that component comes up all the time in your book. Uh, beautifully written of these stories and and just standing in front of people who you can't help all the time. I think of the story of the refugees and uh, mm -hmm. you you ended that with, uh, and if you could tell a little bit of that story there, because uh, that you end with saying not waving, but drowning. Mm -hmm. And I feel yeah. there that really hit home for me about us as uh, caregivers of parents, of uh, physicians, nurses who are out there, uh, that was a very uh, singular moment for me in the between of listening and telling in your book. And if you could elaborate on that story. Yeah, I mean, that's 
and and I I could I could see how that really connects to people in the healthcare field with it, this sort of helpless feeling. Really, I don't know if I put this line in there, but I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to be yeah. there. Anymore. No, you did say that. Okay, because uh, yeah, we we spent a day, and, and it was it was super exciting at the beginning because we had organized uh, an interfaith group. We had Muslim groups and Christian groups and Jewish groups. We all came together. We found vehicles, we loaded them full of food and medical supplies and all this stuff. We're going to go to this refugee camp with 5,000 people. And of course, we were about 25 of us. We show up, you know, we kind of had this kind of like, look at us, we're going to help save the world. Mm -hmm. And when we showed up, it was just the enormity of the suffering and the enormity of the problem. We realized we weren't going to do really anything. And I quickly, and I, I had been given a camera and I was asked to collect stories and I realized, okay, this is all I can really, I mean, the food didn't even matter that much. They, they had other delivery groups doing that. And I had men, you know, I remember there was sort of like, if you imagine a circle, I was in the center and then there was probably, I was in a concentric circle with about four or five rows, groups of people, all trying to tell me their story. They wanted to be heard. And so I'm trying to, to listen and document and write things down but it was just endless, you know, it was, there was just an abyss. And you're talking about people who had uh, lost their families in Iraq or Afghanistan, or were, were forced to fight in Somalia and were fled because they didn't want to be a part of that violence. And, and they really had no place to go. Nobody wanted them there in France. We were in Calais, France at this refugee camp. Nobody wanted them there. Nobody wanted them back at home. There was no way forward. There's no way backwards. And they just were stuck in nowhere's land. And what particularly poignant, you know, that I could connect with is they were, many of them were the same age as my sons. So mm -hmm. I just kept feeling this could be my son right here who I'm talking to. And to see the hopelessness where they could not figure out a way out was devastating. It was just devastating. And when we went to leave the camp, um, we got in our vans and two young men came out and tapped on the window and, and said, you know, will you take us with you? And I remember the driver, a friend of mine said, you know, pro he didn't want to say no. So we just, well, where are you trying to go? And they said, anywhere, just take us anywhere. And I remember just the awkward silence of the inequity, the inequality, the unfairness, the injustice of two people who happened to be born in another country and got lucky, you know, my, my friend Peter and me. And we said, we can't take you. And, um, and we drove off and the, the two guys, the two young men waved at us. But I had that line from the Stevie uh, Smith poem come to me, you know, not waving, but drowning. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I feel it right now. It's just that that's so awful. And that exists too. You know, that's in our world too. Uh, we can't be scared of that reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we know it's there. And I see you today as going right into it. And maybe that's part of the courage of the storytelling too, is to know you don't have uh, a, a pass for those two people. Right. I mean, they're, right. they're still, and, and yet we're still here trying to find a way maybe to get them their pass or that there's a way that we're telling the story to build the circle greater rather than shrink it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I feel the human instinct and this happens all over the place in our countries and our families where we don't want to hear the story. Yes. Like I, I spend a lot of time protecting myself from the story. We don't want to hear the story of the people coming up to the U S border 
who are locked in these warehouse stores behind fences, these cages they're playing. We don't want to know about it and we don't want to hear the story about it. And um, because, because if our empathy is accessed and if it's real compassion, then there is this urge within us to act. It's not just to feel, oh gosh, I feel badly for them. When you really pay attention and are present, there's an impulse in us to like, I need to do something. And I think one of the sufferings we're all going through is we don't act when we feel moved to act. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind of um, almost like a rot that happens within us when we hear suffering after suffering, but we, our bodies are not allowed to respond. And um, that, that, that's a different kind of suffering. This is so critical, especially in our organization, of the call to act and not mm -hmm. let it um, degenerate you or rot. Mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. opposite of rot as renewal, the opposite of rot as hope and something that would be able to sustain itself, I think is critical in healthcare as it is here at Providence. And you're inspiring us to, to allow that to, to take growth inside of us. Yeah, and I think one of the things that that we need to do for those of us who are who are willing to be transparent and vulnerable to the suffering of the world, and particularly the folks you all work with, um, you know, some of the most big-hearted people I've ever met in my life are people in health healthcare work. You know, huge hearts. There's a moral passion behind what they do. They don't do it for the paycheck. <laughs> you know, they do it because of a moral commitment. And um, but uh, the friends that I've known and I've done events with people in healthcare, we can often focus on the person we didn't heal, the problem we didn't solve, the thing we didn't get right. And I think it's important in that particular field for people to tell stories. Okay, where did you feel connected to someone else today? When was a time you felt you were doing your vocation? Like I'm standing in my vocation, I'm doing what I was called to do here. When did you feel a connection with a colleague? What are you? What's a moment you're grateful for? And because I, I notice we kind of skip over those sometimes, but to tell those stories is actually to bring nourishment into your body. And it's important because it cultivates, it gives you the energy, the patience, the generosity, the warmth to then go to the hard places where things aren't so easy. And if we don't take time, you know, you know, stories are food, they're food for the soul. And um, when I allow my, and they're full body meaning making. So if I uh, sit with my colleagues and we tell, okay, let's talk about a moments, moments of connection that happened at work yesterday. And it's like, whoa, that was what a cool interaction you had with that mother and, and how great you and the, and the surgeon, you know, really worked well together and felt like you were on the same, in, you were in the flow, you know, and you hear these stories, you experience them physically. I see it, I hear it, I feel it in my body as I'm listening. And when I get done sharing those stories, uh, I can actually feel a greater sense of rest and peace and um, and then say, OK, let's go out and, and, and do another day. Mark, thanks for giving us that nourishment and that food. And I look forward to us continuing this conversation, but really want to say thank you for for this way of feeding us today. Oh, you're welcome. I have so much respect and gratitude for all that you do. So thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to thank Mark for joining us and to everyone for listening. Watch for part two of our conversation in a future episode. To learn more about Mark and find his books, go to markyakanali.wordpress.com. 
You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. Be well.